from Cape Town. This is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. A very good evening to you. Uh, just after six o'clock on VOC ninety one point three. Of course, out in the Borland on ninety five point eight and ninety point nine across the Atlantic Seaboard. And if you're listening to us somewhere in the world, you're audio streaming on vocfm.co.za. Welcome to it. Hope you are well wherever you are. Inshallah, we uh, of course start off with your questions on four seven nine one three. We have other options that you, um, other modes rather, you can also send through your questions via email. That's info at vocfm.co.za. Via fax if you so wish on 21 and um, yeah, via our Facebook page, like the Voice of the Cape Facebook page, and our producers will uh, just pull off the questions uh, if you are sending them via that mode as well. I'm Khawa Solomon, and I'll be with you right up until 7 o'clock, inshallah, so stay with us uh, in this edition of Questions and Answers. Once again, answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz. We welcome him all the way uh, from the Yusufiya Masjid out in Weinberg. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And to all the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Welcome back, and uh, shukran once again to Sheikh uh, who takes the time out to you know review your question and come back with a detailed answer. We'll kick off immediately with your questions, and the first one is, Assalamu alaikum, um, Sheikh. As agreed, uh, uh, undisclosed, and, and as agreed upon Muscovy for a nikah, is it permissible what we are w- witnessing at a nikah? If it's undisclosed mm. And Bismillah. that's now the norm to say Agreed upon yeah. Bismillah uh, There are certain integrals That obviously have to be uh, present And have to be met When mm. a contract of nikah Is being conducted um, One of them is of course The parties involved They must obviously be present Or their representatives um, There must obviously be A verbal sort of uh, Sequence of words mm. That are spoken So there must be an offer And there must be an acceptance And obviously there must be a wali A wali would be the guardian of the bride To to, to, to get married And you will notice when the scholars discuss this They would not place the dowry As one of the integrals of nikah mm. Okay, Although it's something that must be done you know, The husband should pay the dowry to the wife And it's a gift that he gives to her mm. But it's, it doesn't form part of the core integrals of nikah Okay, so nikah may even be conducted without a dowry being mentioned, right? So yes, if you are witnessing a nikah where they only state that it was agreed upon the two, um, but we don't know what the amount is, then of course that nikah would be valid. Mm. And you are witnessing, maybe not on the amount, but you are witnessing on the fact that they are getting married. That would be your role as a witness, right? So the role of the witness is not to know the amount only. Okay, that would be added information, yes. But the, the, the function of a witness is to actually verify that these two people got married according to the laws of Islam. Mm-hmm. And I was there, I heard the one say Zawajtu and I heard the other one say Qabiltu. Okay, that is what the witnesses are there for, to verify the presence of a nikah. However, if we were to look at uh, what is better to do, I mean, what is the ideal? Should the, the dowry be mentioned during the contract? Mm. Is that ideal and better, or is it better not to mention it? And like you said, some people today seem to be opting more not to mention it. Okay, so are they doing what is better, or is this actually something which is inferior? And the reality is that the sunnah is... To actually mention the dowry That is the sunnah Why? Because that is the way in which Rasulullah always conducted the nikah That the dowry is actually mentioned And the added benefit of that as I mentioned Is that if the dowry is mentioned Then everybody knows So there can't be disputes afterwards Say it, the one may be saying it's this, the other party may be saying it's something else. If it is mentioned, then there's lots of people who actually heard it, so it will obviously then uh, prevent any disputes from occurring. But the fact of the matter is, just to reiterate, the fact of the matter is that not mentioning the dowry will not invalidate the nikah. Hmm. Okay, the nikah contract will still be correct, um, even though the uh, dowry has not been specifically mentioned. And this is found in the Quran, even. You can fi- find evidence for this in the Quran. In Surah Al Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 236, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a situation whereby someone divorces a wife even before consummation of marriage. 
Okay, so they got married, but they didn't consummate the marriage, and then divorce took place before that. Mm. So Allah Taala speaks about this, and He says, "لا جناح عليكم إن طلقتم النساء ما لم تمسوهن أو تفرضوا لهن فريضة ومتعوهن على الموسع قدره وعلى المقتر قدره متاع بالمعروف حقا على المحسنين وإن طلقتمهن من قبل أن تمسوهن وقد فرضتم لهن فريضة فنصف ما فرضتم." And yet Allah Taala in a nutshell, I don't know to translate the whole thing. Uh, you can check it up uh, again It is mm. verse 236 of Surah Al-Baqarah And in a nutshell Allah Ta'ala is saying That there is no problem if divorce takes place Before consummation You know if the husband decides to divorce The wife before consummation Then that divorce may be valid It may be a valid talaq mm. And then Allah also say Or if the v- divorce took place Before a stipulated amount was agreed upon so obviously this means that they got married without an agreed amount. It wasn't mentioned, it wasn't known. Okay, So they just got married like that to decide upon it later on. And here Allah Ta'ala say if they were to get divorced like that, the divorce is valid. And uh, even if no dowry was mentioned, even if no consummation took place. And then Allah gives two situations. If the dowry was not mentioned or agreed upon mm-hmm. at the time of the contract, then of course... What what is owing now to the to the wife in that case? Okay, because they didn't agree on anything. What is owing to her? Allah says, He should give her some compensation which is suitable. Right? As if it's a belated dowry that is being paid. Okay. And something which is and Allah says, Al Musi according to his means. Mm. Right? If he's wealthy, according to his means. If he's not so wealthy, according to his means. Mm. So he should give her a amount which is a kind of a compensation for the fact that she got divorced now before consummation, but at least she was married to him, albeit for a short period of time. So that was the first situation. The second situation is, but if you had stipulated something and you divorced a woman before consummation, then obviously what she deserves now is half of what you have stipulated. Okay. So if it was agreed upon during the contract that look, the amount is 100 rand, then if it is that divorce takes place before consummation, then the dowry that is owed to her now will be 50 rand that she can claim from him because there was an agreed amount in there. What I wanted to prove through this ayah is to show that Allah Ta'ala mentions a contract sometimes hmm. where there was no mentioning of, of the dowry. So okay. which means the dowry is part of the whole thing, but it's not integral. It's not of the core of hmm. the actual con- contract itself. Right? It is just an understanding between uh, the husband and wife. So yes, we would recommend, my final recommendation is that if you wanted to follow the sunnah, if you wanted to do things according to how the Prophet ﷺ did it, then yes, we should rather opt to mention it mm. and not to conceal it. Because that is the way that it was done in the time of Rasulullah Sallam, as I mentioned earlier on. Shukran, Sheikh. And let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some of your questions on 47913 just after this. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum, a very good evening. Welcome back, and we move straight on to our questions that we've received via SMSs. Firstly, if a wife asks her husband Sheikh for a talaq numerous times but never gets an answer, what can she do and what are her rights? Shukran. Yeah, the first uh, point that I would like to stress here is that if she is asking him for a divorce, but she's got no valid reason to do so, Mm. in other words, she just wants out, but she can't provide a good reason, then this is something that is very dangerous. It is something that she should refrain from. Um, She should not be asking for a divorce just because of her womb and fancy. Mm. And uh, we find sometimes people talk like this. They tell you, um, if you ask now, why, why, why do you want a divorce from your husband? Then the only answer they can give is, well, I don't feel that we are compatible. You know, I don't feel that we can make it work. So what exactly are the points that that make you feel like that? Mm. Well, I can't really say. I can't put my finger on it. Now, many times this is not really people speaking, but it is shaitan putting those messages in their minds. Okay. You know, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ had actually said in a hadith, and look at the seriousness of this. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa says, Any woman that asks a divorce from a husband 
without any due cause, without any due reason. Mm. Just like that. She just wants a divorce. Don't ask me why. I just want out. If she asks a divorce in that way, such a woman will not even enjoy the fragrance of Jannah, let alone being in Jannah. She, she will not even come close to smell the fragrance of Jannah. Mm. So it is wrong for a woman to ask a divorce without any due reason. If, of course, there is a reason, which I suspect the case to be here, Okay, there may be good reasons why she's asking for the husband for a talaq. Mm. Maybe she's abusing her, maybe she's not giving nafaqa, maybe they are fighting all the time, maybe they just cannot see eye to eye, maybe there are real issues within that marriage that cannot be resolved. And so she's been telling him, divorce me, but he's not wanting to divorce her. So what is her right? She can obviously go to a judicial body, she can go lay her complaints down there, and if her complaints are valid, and they feel it is strong enough, they will call him in as well, get his side of the story. And it's always very important to listen to all sides. You know, you can't just give a verdict. You have to listen and expedite all possibilities. You have to look at all uh, circumstances, etc. And so when they do that, they will uh, look at both of them and why uh, the husband doesn't want to issue the talaq, why the wife wants the talaq, mm. etc. And so they can eventually, if he doesn't want to talaq, and there is a ground for a fasakh, which is a separation that is coming from a judicial body. If that is granted, it will be granted from the judicial body. You've got the haq to do that as a woman, as a wife, to actually apply for a fasakh. And if there are uh, the, the causes that are strong enough, they should have no problem in giving you that fasakh that you require to come out of this marriage. The other alternative would obviously be um, if, let's say, the grounds are not strong enough, but mm. they are grounds nonetheless, but they are not very strong, but they, they are there. Then in this case, the best thing would be to try and convince the husband rather to divorce. Because why would you want to cling on something that is not working? Right? Why would you want to uh, keep on, uh, you know, on something which clearly has negative, a negative impact mm. on both parties? So in that case, the husband should, should then be uh, you know, convinced in one way or the other to obviously divorce this wife if there is no way of uh, resolving the issue at hand. Shukran, Sheikh. Right, so the next question is Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. I am married for seven years, but my husband treats me as if I'm not his wife. We share a bed together and has have a son who, uh, of six years. But if there's a decision to be made, he doesn't discuss it with me, um, that we can decide it together. And I also find him chatting secretly on his phone and deletes everything afterwards because he used to, because I used to check. Uh, she says she used to check his messages, which she knows is wrong. Sheikh, some advice. Please. Yeah, there's obviously a, a number of issues here. Mm. Um, the first issue would be the issue of uh, husband and wife relationship, and particularly the issue of consultation and at least speaking to each other mm. uh, with regards to important aspects of their lives, decision making, etc. Now we know that uh, consultation and always inc being inclusive in matters of importance is an Islamic principle. It is something which Islam advises and encourages and instructs. Uh, we would find that even the Prophet والسلام, who was of course a Nabi, a Nabi that is infallible, that cannot make mistakes, he cannot really falter, he cannot really err. In that sense, he cannot commit a sin. But we find that even him being a Prophet of Allah, he was actually uh, instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he should consult with his companions. You know, he should accept consultations and he should have uh, counsel with those around him. Mm. And this verse that can be quoted is in Surah Ala Imran, chapter 3 of the Quran, verse 159, where Allah Ta'ala says, It is because of the mercy of Allah that you are so uh, soft towards them. Mm. If you had to be somebody that was very harsh and, uh, and had a heart that was very harsh, then they would have all fled away from you and from around you. And here comes the instruction Allah says to him, فَعْفُ عَنْهُمْ But forgive them if they sort of do certain things towards you. Try to pardon them. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ And also seek forgiveness for them. وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And consult them in your affairs. And this is the important point. He's a Nabi, but he's asked to consult them in, their, in his affairs. And yes, at the end of the day, there must be a decision maker. So yes, the husband, is, he can make the final decision. No problem because he's the one that has been given that particular mandate within a marriage to make the decisions. 
but it should not be making the decisions unilaterally, especially if it is a decision that is going to affect everyone, that is important, that is uh, that has a big impact. He should the least is he should consult. Hmm. Yes, he can make the decision at the end, but at least be inclusive. You know, ask your wife or tell your wife, look, we would like to do such and such. It's going to affect you as well. It's going to affect the kids as well. How do you think we should proceed? And there's always barakah in that kind of thing, you know. There's always lots of khair because Allah Ta'ala blesses a relationship that is built on that kind of understanding. But the moment it's a relationship where only one person decides and no one else is included and it's like a dictatorship and, you know, that kind of thing, then there's very little barakah, but there's very little good in that because the feelings that comes out, you know, and the, 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 the interaction that is within the parties mm. can never be healthy. Because you always feel that you are not considered or you are not really given a chance. Mm. So this is prophetic, this is Islamic. So you try to consult. And we find amazingly how the Prophet ﷺ, he even at very crucial moments accepted the advice of his, of his wives. You know, at very crucial moments. And here we can refer to right the beginning of the Wahi. Mm. When the Prophet received the first ayah, Iqra. When he came out of the cave, who was the first person that he spoke to? You know, who did he, can, who did he can confide into? Mm. His wife Khadija, Al-Kubra. And she said to him, and she gave him advice. She said to him, no, you're a good person. You help the orphans. You help the poor. You are always there for others. So this, uh, you know, Allah will never forsake you. This must be something good. Mm. And he listened to her attentively. He didn't think she's a woman. She's a wife. What can she tell me? How can she benefit me? You know, no, he listened to her attentively. And she was actually that pillar of strength for him. At another occasion when the Nabi Wasallam actually said to the Sahaba they must shave their heads because they couldn't go for Umrah A lot of them didn't want to because they fell down, they fell disappointed So the Nabi Wasallam came back to his wife Umm Salama and he said to her I feel worried that I gave them the instruction to shave their heads but they're not doing it mm. So I'm afraid that they are disobeying my commands And Umm Salama actually gave advice to the Prophet Wasallam. She said to him, you know what I think you should do? You should go out and you should shave your head in front of them don't tell them. You do it in front of them. And once you do that, you will see they will follow suit. Hmm. And then Abi followed this advice. He didn't say, who are you to tell me this? Or what do you know? I know better than you. I'm a prophet. So he went, he went out and he shaved his head in front of his companions. And because they saw him, they, saw, they then thought to themselves, if he can do it, who are we? Hmm. You know, he's also in the same boat like us. He also wanted to go for Umrah. He was also prevented. But he's shaving his head. So that is why they also then followed suit. The idea here is try to obviously consult. And the second point in this question is the issue of trust. You know, the phones and not being able to uh, be comfortable with mm. messages and stuff like that. I always say that the phones that we have and the social media that we have, it is a double-edged sword. You know, you can either benefit you with it or you can actually harm yourself with mm. it. And so we must know how to use these things. And also there should be never... Ever, ever be any secrets between husband and wife mm. I should be comfortable if my wife wants to pick up my phone now and look through my things there should be nothing for me to hide because in the first place we have open relationship you know mm. if I wanted to go through her phone although we don't make it a point to spy on each other mm. we don't make it a point to every message that is sent to see what are they doing but if one wanted to do that the other partner should not feel out of place mm. you know and so uh, in that score uh, on that score I would like to tell the husband you know if he's aware and if he's listening etc and obviously you know you shouldn't be secretive like that mm. you do something and delete it and not wanting anybody to see it that creates suspicion it creates obviously feeling of you know what is going on i wonder what is he doing what is he messaging and mm -hmm. stuff like that we should be play open cards with one another and we should not allow that the social media uh, inventions you know come between myself and my wife because i'm too secretive etc etc no we should be adult enough to know how to handle these kinds of things inshallah inshallah shukran sheikh um definitely a double-edged sword <laughs> uh, we move on uh, to more of your questions but firstly we take a break and after that we come back with uh, your questions on 47913 so stay with us the voice of the Cape, pioneering 20 years in muslim radio my radio station your radio station our radio station Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back. Questions and answers and uh, more of your questions. Assalamu alaikum. Hadat Mawlud started on very good grounds, Sheikh. Today knowledge is there. Why the little importance on the Quran and 
the way of Rasulullah Sallallahu has taught us, Mawlid and Hadad has been taken too far. Sometimes seems like music and men holding hands and bouncing. Is it a sunnah or haram, Sheikh? Yeah, of course, the issue of dhikr and, mm-hmm. and, and the questioner seems to be, you know, um, sort of linking the two dhikr and maulud or khadat and maulud to be uh, the same thing and to be related. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is related because maulud and nabi, we obviously celebrate our Prophet Sallallahu birth and we make dhikr to Allah and we put salawat on him, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Of course, dhikr is always something which is good. It has always been encouraged in all circumstances, mm. whether you are going to do it individually, whether you're going to do it in a group. Uh, it is sunnah to do it sometimes alone and to do it sometimes in a group. Mm. There are a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had actually mentioned a hadith, uh, mentioned situations of dhikr in a group. Mm. You know, there is one hadith which I found beautiful and it, it's, it's very long. I, I can't share the whole thing because it, it's going to take up too much time. But just in summary, where the Nabi ﷺ say that there are certain angels that they are just sort of um, going through this world you know and they are just um, traveling and traversing through this world mm. and the only function that these angel have angels have is yaltamisuna ahla dhikr they are just looking at people who are making dhikr mm. you know groups of people sitting maybe remembering Allah and so on and then there's a very intimate conversation between the angels and Allah and so on but anyway at the end of this hadith the prophet sallallahu says so what if, or he's asked rather, hmm. what if these groups of people that were making dhikr, someone else came along, but he was just sitting there, not really for the dhikr, but he came there to ask someone something. He had a need by someone. Hmm. So he, by the way, came and these people were making dhikr. So he sat there and uh, he was waiting for them to finish, in other words. Hmm. So when they finished, obviously, he went to ask the person what he needed. So his intention was not dhikr, but he had the opportunity to listen to the dhikr. Hmm. So what is his status? And the Prophet ﷺ gave this answer, and this was the end of the hadith. Nabi Sallallahu says, Humul Julasa la yashqa bihim jalisuhum. You know, these people that sit together like this, remembering Allah, whoever sits in their company will never be unfortunate, mm. will never be barred from the goodness. So even this person who came unintended, you know, unintentionally, to sit there with him to, for some other reason, he will also be blessed by Allah Ta'ala because at least he sat in the company of people who were mentioning Allah Ta'ala's names mm-hmm. and made Allah Ta'ala high. So there's many ayat and ahadith, you know, that Allah Ta'ala speaks about and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam speaks about dhikr. There's one hadith where the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, لا يقعد قوم يذكرون الله عز وجل إلا حفتم الملائكة وغشيتم الرحمة ونزلت عن المستكينة وذكرهم الله في من عنده. Never does a group of people sit together remembering Allah Ta'ala except that the angels come and the angels encompasses them or surround them, the rahmah of Allah Ta'ala comes over them, the sakina, the, the tranquility of Allah Ta'ala descends upon them mm-hmm. and even Allah Ta'ala mentions them amongst the malaika Allah says look at such and such that is worshipping me, that is mentioning my name, etc. So dhikr is always something that is good, it is never not good, it, is, it should always be encouraged. However the question that the person is asking is certain forms of dhikr. So some people mm. they stand, some people they sit, some people seem to keep hands etc. Uh, and so yes, uh, I, I do believe that there are different formats that people follow. And if you go to the different parts of the world, you know, if you travel, you will see the different cultures in dhikr. Mm. You'll see the different voices, you'll see the different styles, you know. We, I, I give you an example. We for example, here in Cape Town, South Africa, our ears are tuned to certain sounds. And certain melodies and certain ways hmm. so when we travel when I traveled for example to Africa to Mali and these places you'll find that the dhikr that is made there is very different to ours hmm. the sounds have got a much more African kind of tune you know beat. more in tune with African beats etc hmm. although they are saying the same words that we are saying but it sounds different and it may be strange for us but does that mean that those people making dhikr in that way has got any less intention than us to draw close to Allah and to worship Allah? The answer is no. Mm. Because they may also hear our dhikr and our dhikr may also be strange to them. Mm. Because our voices are different, our styles are different, etc. Okay? So if there are certain people that are making dhikr in a certain way, and this brother is speaking about, or sister, I don't know if the questioner, whoever the questioner is, is speaking about the dhikr of, of holding hands. This is a specific dhikr that is made in certain parts of the world, mm. right? In Egypt, I've seen it, in Syria, and so on. And yes, not everyone is comfortable with it. Mm. And so if you're not comfortable with it, it's fine. You don't need to participate. 
you know you don't need to po- to be part of it mm-hmm. and there has been yes i have to mention this also there has been some scholars that scholars that have sort of criticized this method of dhikr mm-hmm. especially if it is done not in an orderly way if it is done in a way where people lose control or people go uh, you know haywire etc there are some scholars that have said look this is not the way that we should be making dhikr we should rather be making dhikr in a way that we face the qibla and you know following all the subtleties when it comes to the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What I would like to say is that in terms of all of this, let us all remember Allah ta'ala as much as we can, whether it is form of, uh, through the forms of dhikr, through the Qur'an. The brother is saying that in terms of Qur'an or dhikr, mm. you know, why, why is Qur'an neglected but dhikr is given prominence? You know, and actually if you look at the dhikr, the athkar also contains Qur'an, you know, contains mm. verses of the Qur'an. It's not only uh, other things, it's Qur'an as well. And so we should never say one or the other. Mm. Why should it be one or the other, you know? Why Quran and not dhikr or why dhikr not Quran? Mm. We should recite Quran as much as we can. We should make dhikr as much as we can. And we shouldn't say the one is at the expense of the other, Mm. you know? Because the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, as I said, is something that is always beneficial. And yes, if there are certain things that we perhaps see that uh, does not uh, fit our fancy or something that we don't like, you know, try to at least understand. Maybe these people are also trying to remember Allah in a certain way that that is that is pleasing to them or that they feel is okay. Mm. Although you may not see it in that in that light, you may not see it. Maybe it's a different culture. Maybe it's a different background. You know, uh, and so so we try to be tolerant about these things mm. as well, and we don't try to condemn or outright just say that people are doing wrong, etc. And yes, if people are doing really things that are really out of the out of the way, you know, or really out of bounds then the scholars should come forward and speak about it. They should then guide people as to what is right and what is wrong. But I do believe that some of these athkar, you know, they, they, inshallah, the, the intention behind the people is good. And they may not always always do it in the best of ways, but mm. maybe the intention is there and maybe sh- they should be advised. If there is certain issues that is maybe out of line, they should be advised. And we as laymen, we should try to have tolerance, you know, mm. and not condemn and not judge people or be judgmental. Like I say, cultures differ dif- differ all over the world. Mm. If you go to uh, the African countries, if you go to the European countries, if mm. you go to, let's say, the Asian countries, they also they have their own way of doing things. And we respect all of them because ultimately we know that the goal of all of them is to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think uh, uh, at the end of the day, Sheikh Sa'ath, things like dhikr and mawlud are, um, are congregations where um, compared to the Qur'an when you're listening to somebody reciting, maybe kira'ah, um, or uh, you know somebody passing out, or you know becoming hafid or something. It, it's just one person reciting and everybody else listening. Whereas with dhikr and maulud is something I I don't know from my opinion that the whole family can participate in. Mm. And and like she mentioned, there are you know also verses within the Quran that's also mentioned in that. But mm. the appreciation of getting everybody and mm. your family involved in those sort of. I suppose there are certain formats where everybody recite Quran also together, yeah. like we recite Yasin together sometimes. Yes, yes. So that is Quran and we do that during our dhikrs and even during our mawluds we do yes. that. We recite Yasin and Tabarak and we all get a chance to recite Quran as well. Mm. So I, I would never like to say that either one or the other. Yeah. You know, it's it's all important. Each have their benefits. Each have their benefit and each is important. Stay, yeah. And the Quran tells us both, you know, that Quran tells us in so many verses to make dhikr to Allah abundantly. The Quran also tells us about the recital of the Quran. Mm. So we should never do one at the expense of the other. Okay. And we should try our best to to to, to do things that is beneficial in this world you know that is Inshallah. all that counts things that will be beneficial to us in this world in a and in in our graves and in the akhirah and that is when we remember allah with and and, and, and like i said we, we try to to think good of other people you mm, know we tolerance yeah. tolerance we don't it's try important. to jump to conclusions unless if we are really worried we can consult a scholar and say look mm. is this right specifics you know is this right is it not can mm. we do something about it otherwise we try to overlook and if like i say you may not like it mm. that's your choice and nobody can tell you you have to like it mm. i just give you an example i had an interesting discussion not too long ago with someone mm. and he was telling me you know I can't understand how the Cape Tonians, the way they recite Quran, it's it's so melo, it's the melodies, you know, it's like very melodious. It's like you sort of lose the meanings, you know, the Quran. So I said, how do you people recite? And this person was of a European European origin, mm. you know. He says, well, we like we like to recite Quran like very plain, you know. We don't like a lot of lagu, lagu yeah. a lot of sounds and tunes mm. because it like sort of distracts us. 
Now look at that. I mean, their ears is not tuned yeah. to our. But when we listen to them again, it's very bland. You know, it's very straight. It's like we can't. We really need a listen. bit of color. Yeah, we need color. We need a bit of you know. And it's all Alhamdulillah. I think it's all good and well because each person and each culture they have their own kind of thing, which is all the ultimate goal at the end is they all try to do things which brings them closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And I think that's that's the core. Um, as Sheikh mentioned, what is in the heart and you know how closer you you are brought to Allah. So inshallah, our next question. <laughs> If one applied, Sheikh, for a fasakh, so if you applied for fasakh and you're granted a talaq, what does that mean, Sheikh? Yeah, I'm not too sure uh, sort of what the question means. So you applied for a fasakh, which means that the wife would be making that application. Mm. And so if it comes uh, and, and the fasakh is granted, then it means the husband did not divorce, but the judiciary actually separated the two of them. Mm. And so the, the, the fasakh means that she will get papers to say that the type of separation is not talaq, but fasakh. And it has different consequences to talaq per se. Mm. But in this case, it seems that she, she did apply for this, but in, 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 in essence, she did not get a fasakh, but she rather got a talaq. Okay? And if that is the case, what, what it could mean is that maybe the husband, during the process of, of, of consultation or during the process of counseling, mm. maybe the husband came to understand that, look, it's better for me just to talaqa. Instead of she waiting for a fasakh, it's mm. going to take a long time. Things are not working out. Maybe he came to 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 to, to senses to actually just talaka, you know, and that's why they sent a letter to say now that the talaka has been given, mm. right? Maybe like that. But if it is a fasakh that she she asked and there was no intervention of the husband. Okay, then it must be a fasakh. It can't be a talaq. Okay. Okay. And just quickly, the difference, I mean, there's a big difference between the two because a talaq, if it was a first or a second talaq, then it means the husband and wife can still reconcile. Mm -hmm. They can make up, you know, without remarrying if okay. it is during the iddah. They can just get back together and say, look, we forget the past and just move forward. Mm -hmm. They can do that. But if it's a fasakh that comes from a judicial body, unfortunately, they won't be able just to make up. They yes. will have to remarry each other, even if it is uh, closely after the fasakh was given. You know, they will have to remarry. The whole procedure will have to be followed. So in a way, the fasakh consequences is much more strict, mm. as much more uh, stringent than the talaq consequences, if it was a first or a second talaq. So if it is clearly stated on the paper that a talaq was given and not a fasakh, then it means your husband must have intervened and he must have said, look, no need to wait long for a fasakh and procedures. Mm. I will rather talaqa. Or they may have convinced him to talaq. And if he did that, then it means that either first or second, then you have the right to, to reconcile. If it was the third talaq, of course, then it means you can't reconcile also. She will first have to go under idda and then marry someone else, etc. And that's a long procedure, as we all know. Okay, right. Sheikh. So the, la the next question is a little bit winded. So um, let's inshallah get through this. Um, Assalamu alaikum. She is on all, f uh, on all fair shares as far as the shares my sister-in-law is very upset saying that she is not little for all that um, she tells people that not her brother's child. Kanala, Imam advice, please at the moment all our children are married and she is the only one in the house with us. I'm really hurt as I don't want to hurt her feelings. Um, Imam Shukran so much. Uh, I have no idea where this is meant to start yet. Yeah, the question is very, very unclear. So we can't really okay. make out what the person is asking. Um, you know, the only part that I guess is the end where she says like she don't want to Children hurt unhappy, a certain yeah. person mm -hmm. in the house. Maybe because of some rumors, because someone is going around saying it's not their child or whatever the case may be. So Allahu Alam, maybe the questioner can forward the question a second time yes, for us please. to have more clarity mm. uh, because there's no way we can make it out, you know, what, what exactly are they asking is it the question of the rumors that they want to know you know what is the, the consequences of that or the shares at the beginning I don't know if it's shares of inheritance or what it is it's very very unclear this, so maybe the yeah. questioner can sort of just resend the question for us inshallah. To address, inshallah. Yeah, that, that's definitely not a question anywhere in then and unfortunately um, from that number um, double zero three four five please can you resend your question we, we will try with all our questions that we come through to read them and just to acknowledge that this one has been received unfortunately Unfortunately, um, we were not able to um, to answer it as there is no um, clear question in here. Let's move on to the next one. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Shukran for the informative uh, session. What was mentioned earlier on the program, um, and this must have been a program that we did in May, what goes around comes around. Does that also apply to a child that is being fostered? 
Yeah, uh, the, the the general the general kind of rule is that you know what goes around comes around. Um, there's a hadith that says kama tadinu tudan. You know, the way you treat people, you will be treated, mm. and the way you do things, things will be done to you. In the Quran, Allah Taala says, "Hal jazaul ihsan illa al-ihsan." Can there be any other reward for goodness except goodness? If you do something good, only good can come. Mm. And if you do something evil, only the consequences can only be bad. So this is general. This is not only for your own child or for someone else's child. This is in life in general. I think yeah. this is a message in general. You know, you should be because the hadith that we've quoted, I think at the time, uh, it, it had to do with your your, your own child. Yes. The yeah. hadith says, "Be good to your parents." Because then your children will be good, good to you. To you yeah. So that was obviously your own children. But mm. does it only mean restricted only to that? I would say no. It can be extended to foster children as well. Mm. You know. Um, so uh, as long as a person is good to your foster parent, for example, then maybe other kids will be good to you. Mm. Even not your own kids, other kids. You know, they will all show goodness to you. So um, it's just a, I think, a, a general principle in life that we are aware of. Which was highlighted in this hadith and in this discussion that you must be very careful to what you do because of what you do because it it it, it has a tendency of coming back to you, you know. If good, then good will come back to you. If otherwise, then unfortunately, that is how life revolves, you know, uh, and how how life develops. Uh, and Allah Taala says also in another verse, "Wa tilka al nas." That that is, uh, you know, this life is how Allah Taala switches the days of people around. You know, we have our sad moments, we have our happy moments, we have our good moments, we have our bad moments, etc. And we sort of should live good lives because if we have good lives, we try our best, then insha Allah, the outcome of whatever we do will be good eventually. And uh, even if we face challenges, Allah Taala will give us a way out of it, etc. And if we tend to do bad, you know, or we tend to not treat others well, etc. We can only but expect that you know things won't go our, in our favor mm. the way that we would like it to go. That is the sunnah of Allah, you know, in 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 this world, and that is why we should try our, our utmost at all times to treat people with fairness, with justice, with love, you know, with care, with concern, with consideration. Mm. Always treat people with respect, you know, because at the end of the day, that is all that we would love for ourselves. One day. People yes. should like if a young people. We always tell this to young people. You know, you're treating old people in a certain way, whether mm. it be your parents, your aunts, your uncles, or anyone for that matter. But don't you realize you're also going to get old one day? Mm. Don't you, re- you realize that you also need to be in the same position as they are today, where you're also going to need help and assistance and mm. care from others? So do you expect Allah just to make it easy for you at that time, when you had no decency in your early age, to make it easy for other people? Mm. So we must reflect on these things. It's a, it's a life lesson, I think, that can be sort of used in any any situation at all. Shukran. And with that, uh, things come around, goes around, what goes around, comes around. Inshallah, question. We'll uh, continue with more of your uh, SMSs on 47913 after the short break. So stay with us. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. This is Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Salman answering your question. Questions uh, is uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio with us. A big shukran uh, to Sheikh as well for always being available on a Saturday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Uh, so please do continue sending your questions on 47913 as I mentioned via Facebook. Fax or email um, is also are also available. Uh, Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum. Very soon I will be getting a lump sum of money from my disability fund. How much sadaqah must I give for every 1,000 rand that I get? And can I give the sadaqah to my siblings that I that are struggling, or must I give it to an organisation? Bismillah. The, the the question here refers to although the word sadaqah is used, obviously it's zakah that they are talking about the yes. the uh, compulsory zakah that must be paid, and uh, this lump sum of money that is coming to you if you are getting ownership of this money for the first time mm. right which is the case here then it means zakah won't be immediately compulsory upon you but zakah will only be compulsory in a year's time from the time that you receive it okay because we know the conditions of zakah is that you must have a, a minimal amount in your possession and you must have that minimal amount for a minimal of one year okay so once you fulfill, once you fulfill those two conditions 
then of course um, zakah will be payable now first of all the minimal amount what is that minimal amount they work it out obviously nowadays uh, because in those days they used to work it through gold and silver so they work it out uh, nowadays in our currency to be more or less three and a half thousand rands mm. so if it is three and a half thousand rands that you are getting or more and you are going to have that three and a half thousand or more in your possession in your possession for more than one year then it means after a full year of receiving the money zakah will now become liable for you to pay two and a half percent on it okay so that is the amount that you are questioning how much on every thousand it'll obviously be 25 rand on, on every thousand mm. okay for every thousand rand 25 rand zakah must be given which is exactly two and a half percent the second question is of course now in terms of can i give to my siblings and the answer is yes you may give to your siblings because the only people that we are not allowed to pay zakat to are the people that we normally should give nafaka if they are under our wings and who are they they are your wife so you can't give zakat to your wife and your children you can't give zakat to your own children because if they were in difficulty then you must look after them you must obviously give nafaka to them and then also your parents your parents you can never give your zakat to your parents why because your parents deserve much more than that they deserve your nafaka your every day that you should look after them and not only give them zakat once off right mm. so in a nutshell your wife your children and grandchildren and all the way down and your parents grandparents and all the way up those are the three avenues that you can never give zakat to all right because they are your dependents they are the people that you should look after in terms of giving them nafaka on a daily basis if they are in need for that uh, however for the siblings which does not fit those three categories you can obviously give zakat to them you can give zakat to your aunts your uncles you can give zakat to anyone else your cousins that is not fitting those three categories of children uh, parents or wife then you can give zakat to them by all means so in this case your siblings by all means if they are deservant of course mm. right if they are of the eight categories that deserve zakat then you can obviously give them their zakat so yes it's not a must that you must hand it over to an organization you can give it personally to them to your siblings uh, the organizations i think they are only there to facilitate the process because very often maybe we don't know who to give it to or mm. we're not sure if the person is deserving or whether it will be dispersed properly so i think it's just a matter of convenience giving it to um, uh, any organization that deals with zakah mm. so whatever you feel comfortable with you do that and uh, yes inshallah if you do that inshallah allah ta'ala will give that your wealth that you've received now and you're going to pay the zakah and and just one last question one last um, clarity that i want to bring to the fore if for example you receive this this amount but you don't want to wait till the end of the year to give the zakah mm. you want to give it right at the beginning then you know you've you've given it mm. can you do it the answer is yes you can give the zakah before the time this is allowed in the, the shafi'i school of thought and many others as well so if you feel you want to pay the zakat up front inshallah there is no problem in that and uh, allah ta'ala will just increase you in your wealth and in your goodness mm. because you know that is what zakah does it actually purifies uh, allah says in the quran khuz min amwalihim sadaqatan tutahhiruhum wa tuzakkihim that take from their wealth as zakah because it will purify them and it will cleanse them mm. so this will will happen inshallah once you give so just to uh, um, summarize the question again in the in the different parts the first part was that you will only pay zakah after one year of you owning the lump sum and the amount of zakah must be a minimum of three and a half thousand that you own before zakah is given and the amount that you would be given uh, be giving will be 25 rand on every thousand rand that you have mm -hmm. uh, in your possession uh, and if you wanted to give it before the year there's no problem you can do that as well inshallah shukran sheikh i'm moving on quickly swiftly to our next question it says assalamu alaikum my husband and i have been married for 12 years and have three beautiful kids we have made many sacrifices in those years and he's hardly been around doesn't spend much time with the children as well now he tells me he's going to take a second wife she is younger than me also has no kids and he says he has feelings for her Sheikh. yeah this is one of those uh, niggly issues that yeah. uh, always comes up uh, in terms of a second wife and uh, sometimes husbands you know they feel it's just their haq is their right because allah mm. says in the quran take two three four wives and so on it's allowed and yes while that is all good and well it is allowed the sharia also and the ayah itself also stipulates if you do not do justice to one then stick to the one you know if you cannot do justice to to your wives then stick to one mm. right and so in this case it seems that the complaint is that he doesn't spend time with his children he 
doesn't give the haq to them. He doesn't really, he's not around, you know, as a husband much. So how can he take another wife in that case? Mm. You know, if he's not giving justice to the first one already. All right. So while it is halal for him to, to take a second wife, the condition is that he must be able to treat all of them fairly. Treat all of them well, etc. Now, look, if he is going to, if he is somebody that is known to have treated everyone fairly and he was there and he is able to take another wife, it is his hak to do so, you know. But he must be careful, he must be able to live up to those standards because the punishment is very difficult for someone who has gone into uh, taking another wife but he does not give the haq of each one and does not treat them fairly and equally etc etc um, now uh, obviously yes on the other hand you're saying that he has feelings for her etc now now this is often what the husbands would also say you know if, if i've got feelings what must i do you know i don't know to do haram and stuff like that and that is quite correct you shouldn't do haram but you sh- it's also haram for you not to treat your, your first family well you know mm-hmm. that is equally haram than for you to fall in other kind of haram so one should not be able to justify for the other okay so um, having another wife is fine it's it's allowed but with conditions we should always remember that with conditions that have been set out in the quran itself Look at how plain and simple Allah puts it. If you know you cannot do justice amongst them, then only take one wife. I mean, I don't find anything more clearer and more crisp than this ayah, you know, that shows the the importance of uh, really thinking hard before you are going to actually go forward and take a second wife. So we should uh, obviously then be able to, uh, someone should be able to speak to your husband and advise him accordingly and say to him that although this is your haq, just remember your first family also has a haq over you. They've got a right over you. You will be answerable for them. You will be questioned about them. So think very carefully before you take this very, very huge decision in your life to take up another wife. And, uh, you know, before you put yourself in that uh, situation, make sure that you are making right with all other parties involved, inshallah. And we hope this husband will do the right thing in, in carefully considering before just going into marrying someone uh, blindly without uh, taking into consideration the consequences and the impact that it will have on, on the family. Shukran, Shah. Let's take a short break and come back with more of your questions on 47913. Back in a moment. What? of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Uh, uh, answering your SMSs 47913. Please do continue sending it on these questions and answers with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz 47913. Um, let's inshallah get through our questions. Assalamu alaikum. What does one do in a case where parents doesn't care for their children and abandon them? Because in Islam it says, love parents or um, oh Allah have mercy on them for they cared for me when I was young. But in my case, they don't care about me. I'm left to look after my siblings because they don't want to. They're living on their own with no financial help from from them or um, their presence, which is much more important. Shukran, Sheikh, please advise. Yeah, Allah. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, Allah Taala is fair. You know, Allah Taala is just. Mm-hmm. Allah Taala is not uh, oppressive to to any of His creation. And while while Allah Taala says to us, we must be do, be good to our parents, and that's a, a, a God given right of them, and uh, we are duty bound towards that. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that Allah Taala overlooks the wrong of whatever parent does towards the child. Mm-hmm. The child also has certain rights over the parent, just like the parent has certain rights over the child, sure. you know. And uh, yeah, I always like to 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 reflect on 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 an, an incident that happened in the time of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiAllahu an, where a person came to complain about his son's behavior in front of Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Umar said to him look before I give uh, sort of a directive on this let's call in your son because I first want to know whether you gave the haq of this child before you are telling me now that he is disobeying you let me first hear whether you gave his haq to him that he deserves so he asked Sayyidina Umar so what is the haq I mean I didn't think of all of these things what what was the haq that I was supposed to give him and Sayyidina Umar was a man of vision, you know. He said, the first thing that he said is, 
أن تحسن اختيار أمه. The first right that this child had over you was even before the child was born. That you should have made sure that the wife that you take must be a wife that will be a worthy mother, mother of this child. <laughs> so you must actually, when you get married, already think, is this woman material to be a, a mother to my children? <laughs> this is what Sayyidina Umar is saying. Because if you choose the wrong partner, if you choose someone that doesn't care about the deen, or they don't care about courtesy, or don't care about respect, <laughs> so how can you then expect the children to, to, to be respectable people? You know, so that's the first right. The second right is وَأَن تُحْسِنَ اسْمَهُ That you should give him a good name. That is a haq that he has over you. Don't choose for him a name that is uh, that is bad or that has a bad meaning, but it must be a good name. And thirdly, أَن تُعَلِّمَهُ الْقُرْآنِ It is your, your uh, duty to teach him the Qur'an. You see, it's not the duty of the Khalifa. <laughs> the imam mm-hmm. or the teacher, you know, it's the parent's duty first and foremost to educate the child and to direct them towards what is correct and what is incorrect, what is good and what is bad, what is beneficial to them, etc. To mm-hmm. teach in the Quran, and so you can't come complain about your children if you didn't play your role. This mm-hmm. is what Sayyidina Umar basically is telling this parent. So what I'm coming back to is in this question that yes, if this parent, uh, the parents of yours, are not playing their role towards you. And you must look after your siblings because you're the eldest and they don't give you support, they don't give you financial aid, you must do all of this. Inshallah, inshallah your, your sabr that you have, your patience will be rewarded by Allah Ta'ala. Inshallah. Don't forget that. Whatever you, you, you do of good will never go unnoticed. Mm. Allah Ta'ala will always, always notice what good you do. Mm. And the wrong that they are doing towards you, right, that is also not going to go unnoticed. Allah Ta'ala takes note of all of this, mm. right? Allah says in the Quran, وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ Don't ever think that Allah Ta'ala is unmindful of those who do wrong. Mm. Allah knows exactly those oppressors, those who do wrong others. Allah knows exactly. Allah gives them a respite, you know, until He takes charge of them. So the good that you are doing towards your siblings and the patience that you have, may Allah reward you for that and may Allah keep you steadfast for it and may Allah Ta'ala make it easy for you because it, it, it must be difficult for you to, to, to shoulder all this responsibility. And uh, at the same time, if you can, you know, try to in a in a good way in a nice way to convince your parents what they are doing is not is not proper mm. try to do it respectfully still don't ever try to speak ugly to them or to swear at them etc mm. that won't solve anything first of all and secondly it's just going to lead to to more ills and to more wrongs etc but try in a beautiful way to convince them get other people involved if you have to other family members get them involved if you have to to speak to your parents that they should shoulder their responsibilities towards their kids and not neglect them and not give it over just to one of the other kids to look after the children mm-hmm. this is wrong this is completely wrong those children have a haq over the over the parents so inshallah we hope that the situation will improve somehow for for this for this uh, person who is looking after her siblings so Allah Ta'ala make it easy for them inshallah Amen, Amen, inshallah all the best to that family and all those that have uh, uh, troubles uh, those uh, on um, sending through their questions may the Almighty grant them sabr and patience um, and contentment with whatever challenges they have to face Jazakallah khair to our um, our Sheikh Ibrahim was answering the questions so diligently as well and uh, from our side a big shukran to you Sheikh and all the best and salama travel back home and salam to the family and we'll see Sheikh again next week inshallah Jazakumullah khairan to you uh, Sister Hawa and to all our wonderful listeners of the Voice of the Cape may Allah Ta'ala preserve and protect all of us and keep us in his safekeeping until we meet again Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh and from myself Hawa I hope you had a good evening continue doing so for the rest of the weekend inshallah and uh, looking forward to chatting to you very soon again Wassalamu alaikum and a very good day.